Good morning, Mission View. How are you doing? I hope that uh, everyone has had an incredible week, but even if you haven't had an incredible week, we still have an incredible God who cares about us, who loves us, who died for us. And I hope the message of that last song, I requested that song just before the message because it reminds us of the journey that God has brought us on in, in that it began with salvation. And so I'm so thankful for the work that, of salvation he has done in our lives. Now, I'm not certain, but I'm sure I, I would guess that you've had one of those experiences just like my wife and I had. This was uh, many years ago, but we had an opportunity to, I was a youth pastor, and we were thinking about working with a camp down in southern Ohio. And as we were thinking about working with this camp, I thought I should go down and really see this camp, check it out, make sure it's what we want. It was working with the disabled in Coshocton, Ohio. The only problem was, who in the world puts a disabled camp in the hills of Coshocton, Ohio? I mean, this is where all the rednecks are down there. But that's okay. God loves rednecks. Anyways, amen? Yeah, oh, I got a few rednecks here. That's good. But So we go ahead and we get the directions from our friend. And uh, we were told that you go down 77 south, you head over west on 36, and get on to 541. You're going to turn right onto 541, and within 15 minutes from 541, you're going to be at the camp. So I'm thinking this is going to be easy. Now, one thing I needed to do to help you understand our setting was that this was before GPS. In fact, this was before cell phones. Yes, there was a time before cell phones and GPS. And so we used the old-fashioned things called paper maps. And so we had our map out, and so we're going and straight shot down 77, piece of cake, no problem. Then we get on to 36 West, no problem, straight shot. But then when we got on to 541, it became a little bit more difficult. Because 541 is one of those routes that you can barely see on the map. And it's so curvy, it looks like a, a snake on convulsions. I mean, this is the, the kind of road that we, that we were on. And so we get on this road, we turn right on 541, just as we were told. And we go about five minutes, and my wife and I, we're doing okay. But after about ten minutes, we're both getting a little blue. I mean, those roads were so curvy. We're starting to get car sick. After 15 minutes, we didn't find the camp. In fact, 20 minutes, 25 minutes later, we're not finding the camp anywhere. By this time, we're completely sick. And after about 15 more minutes of traveling on this road, we finally come to Route 77. <laughs> Can you imagine the disappointment that both my wife and I had? And really, 541, we had taken the wrong direction and gone south, and therefore we had to go back up north, 15 miles, go all the way back across 36. And what we realized, and the way the exit got off, going right was not west, it was actually east. We needed a course direction. Now, I want you to know that little, uh, little detour cost us. It cost me time because we didn't have that much time. It cost us feelings of wellness because by that point, my wife and I were both about to puke. 
And then it also caused a little bit of marital tension because when we were going the wrong way, my wife was saying something like, I think we're going the wrong way. Now, my wife is beautiful, and she never sounds like that, but I give that for dramatic effect. Um, and we indeed were going the wrong way. We had the wrong plan. I had the wrong plan. But you know what? I think a lot of times people are like that in life, and we need a course correction. We're going the, we think maybe we're going the right way, or maybe in our hearts we know that the direction that we're going in our life is really not right, but our pride keeps us going in that direction, and we don't ask for directions, we don't ask for counsel, we don't really do anything, and it ends up costing us time, it costs us our health, it costs us uh, marital conflict. All these kind of things can take place when we are in the wrong, going in the wrong direction. And sometimes we go in the wrong direction with God. Sometimes we think God, well, you know, God's, you know, just a figurehead. It's, it's, he's kind of out there. Or Christianity's full of phonies. Or we might even play the Christian game, but really in our lifestyle, we haven't surrendered at all. And we need, according to the scriptures, a course redirection in our life, a course correction. Today, I'd like for us to evaluate what kind of course correction do we need. And I specifically want us to think about a course correction in the way of being a servant. The passage that we're going to be dealing with today is dealing with being a servant of God. So let's ask God to do that in our hearts. Lord, I pray that as we get into your word, that you would help us to see what your word has to say to us. I pray, Father, that you would use your word as a mirror to our hearts and help us to see the people that you want us to be, that you desperately created us to be. And help us not to think with our own, our own pride, but help us to think with the mind of Christ in regards to what you want for us. And we pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we are currently going through a series called The Pursuit. As Brian pointed out last week, well, this pursuit is actually kind of a guide. It's a guide of how we are to have a relationship with Christ. We come to this place in our life where we realize that we can't do it on our own. We make a mess of our life, and we realize what Christ did on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, it was all for us. That's the gospel. He did it so that we can come into a right relationship and, in a sense, get on his highway, get on his road. And when we do that, we begin a journey and we begin a pursuit. Now, in this pursuit, what we've learned so far is that we learn what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a follower or an imitator of Christ. And that's what God desires of each and every one of us, that we would imitate him. But as we've learned about being an, a disciple, an imitator, we've realized that there's certain things that Jesus says, okay, this should be true of each and every one of us. And a few of these things that is what we're covering each week. So a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Brian covered baptism. 
And that is a requirement that Jesus has given. After all, in his great commission, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This was important to Jesus. Why was it a mandate? Why was it a command? Because when we go into the water, we are saying that we are dead to ourselves, and when we come out of the water, we are saying we are alive in Christ, and it was meant to be a public testimony that we are not ashamed of Christ. And so if you have not been baptized up to this point, you are you need to take this issue uh, to heart and ask yourself Am I being obedient? So this is one of the commands that we've covered so far. Last week, we talked about the command of feeding ourselves and growing up in God's Word. When we begin this journey, we're like a little infant taking in infant food in. But we are to grow. We're not to stay in infancy. We're to grow in this relationship where we're starting to feed ourselves from God's Word. And that's God's desire that we would do that. And Pastor Brian gave us the challenge that there needs to be somebody ahead of us helping us, and there needs to be somebody behind us that we are pouring into. Do you have those two people in your life? And today we're going to talk about probably the power behind the Word or the joy that comes with the Word when we serve. It's like a two-sided coin. We take in God's word, but then we serve, and that gives us an incredible joy. We're going to see that. Galatians 5.13 says this. It commands us, serve one another in love. Today, Jesus will both model this and teach this. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. We're going to be looking at 17 through 28. As you turn there, let me set the context. Jesus has been with his disciples for some time, and there are still some things that Jesus is working on with the disciples, just like he's working on with us. And one of those things is their pride. You see, the, the disciples had this nasty little habit of talking among themselves as to who was the greatest. And several times in the scriptures, we see the disciples having this dispute of who is the greatest, who is the greatest, who is the greatest. Matthew 18, 1 says this, at that time, Jesus came to, or the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Later on in Mark chapter 9, they, Jesus asked them, why are you guys arguing with one another? And they, they had to admit that they were arguing about who was the greatest. We fast forward just to the night before Jesus, or the, that Jesus was going to be taken captive and he's going to be crucified the next day. They have communion and right after communion, there's a dispute that breaks out amongst the disciples as to who was the greatest. Now, we're going to understand in a moment why they were thinking this. But for right now, just know that they had a personal defect in their navigation system in terms of what God wanted in their life. Unless we think that we don't have that problem, just ask yourself this. Have you ever been in a place where you said, I want to be the best in my occupation? I want to be the per top salesperson. I want to be the best in my category, in my occupation in life. Whether it can be a noble thing, but pride can be behind this. And I think that that was the case for the disciples. 
every single one of us have a problem with pride. Bottom line. It manifests itself in different ways, but this applies to each and every one of us. So here's what's going to happen. Jesus is going to give himself as the model or the path of being a servant. Then he's going to, we're going to take a look at the disciples, their path, and then we'll see the course correction. Take a look at verse 17 through 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going, on, uh, going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will contempt, condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Now, as Jesus is pulling his disciples aside, you got to understand a certain conclusion that the disciples have come. They have concluded since Matthew 16 that Jesus is the Christ. He, in fact, he asked them pointedly, who, who do you say that I am? And the disciples had come to a conclusion that he was the Christ. They knew he was the Christ based on everything that they saw. They saw Jesus heal the sick. He saw, they saw them cast out demons. He saw them healing those that were lame. He saw them, he saw them cal, uh, uh, calm stormy waters. The disciples saw Jesus heal a dead man that was in a coffin on the way to being put in the ground. And he healed the man, rose him from the grave. He saw, they saw them, they saw Jesus forgive sins. They say, I saw all these things and the conclusion in their mind is, yeah, this Jesus is the Messiah. No one else could do what he's doing. This has to be the Messiah. So that's their conclusion. So I would say that the disciples had a proper assessment that Jesus was the Messiah. But here was what was improper. They had an improper conclusion that he was coming to set up his earthly kingdom now. See, these Jewish disciples thought, well, Jesus is the Messiah, and the Messiah was supposed to come according to Malachi chapter 4, and since he was going to come and establish a kingdom, guess what? He's going he's to pull Braveheart, man, and he's going to be bringing out his sword and say, Freedom! And he is going to overthrow the Roman government. And guess what we get to do? We get to sit on the thrones with Jesus, and we get to rule over these people that have caused tyranny in our own life. See, these disciples were thinking words like victory. They were thinking exalt, overcome, rule, be first. That's what they were thinking in their minds. Then Jesus comes along and says, hey guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. And when we get there, I want you to be prepared. By the way, by the time, by the way this was the third time he said this. And he says, I'm going to die. I'm going to be flogged. flogged. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be crucified. Those were the words that he was thinking. And then he said, I will raise from the dead. Disciples weren't getting it. They didn't understand that he came to do this. But I believe what Jesus was doing was setting the example of humility. The only what Jesus could do in that he died 
for all of humanity, shed his blood, and then rose again to make payment for our sins. Here's the conclusion that we get from Jesus' path. His characteristic of being a servant was to lay down his life for others. It was to lay down his life for others. Now the disciples couldn't pay the sins of mankind, but they could lay their life down for others. Jesus has said it to them, no greater love is this than one laid down his life for a friend. This is what he was trying to model for them. But what were they doing? They had a, a first modeled. Let's be first. Take a look at 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him something. Now, who can deny a mother's request? And he said to her, what do you want? She said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left in the kingdom. What's she talking about? We'll get to that in a minute. Jesus answered. Notice he answers the boys. He doesn't answer the mother. The word you is plural. You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And they said, the boys said, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not for mine to grant. But it is for those whom it has been prepared by my father. Now take a look at what's happened here. Here's something that you need to know in context. The disciples had had a previous conversation with Jesus. They have given up a lot. They've been with Jesus almost three years. And Peter asked in chapter 19, flip over one chapter, Peter asked a question in verse 27. He says in chapter 19, verse 27, he says, Lord, see we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? What's in it for us? What's going to happen for us? Because we've left everything. Notice what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, in the new world, by the way, when Jesus spoke of the new world, he was thinking of something that hasn't even happened today, but the disciples were thinking it was going to happen right then. He says, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left his house or brother or sister or father or mother or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Can you see the disciples? Oh, yeah, 12 thrones, 12 thrones. Now, wait a second. Which one's going to be mine? If Jesus is going to be in the center, then the, the, the highest honor would come to the person who's sitting on the left and the person who's sitting on the right. Oh, I got to do something. Mom, Mom, I need your help. I need your help. I, I, I need you. I, just this, just this one time, would you kind of put on that mother face and just that plea for your child and, and, and go to Jesus and kind of, kind of pave the way for us? Jesus says to his disciples, and, and I, what I love about this, it's kind of humorous. I love the fact that Jesus is gentle here. Guys, sometimes we hold things in ignorance 
And Jesus deals with us gently. And so Jesus says to them, he says, uh, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? Now this was a common phrase of that day. It was a common expression which meant that they would stay with something until the end. They would endure to the bitter end. They would pay the cost. So Jesus is saying, are you willing to pay the cost? Are you really willing to do? And he had just talked about himself dying. Are you willing to die as well? Oh yeah, yeah, we're willing, we're willing. Little did they realize that as soon as he would be taken captive, they would all scatter. They didn't understand. But it was almost as if Jesus then looked into the future and said, yeah, indeed, you, you, you will suffer. But the right hand and the left, that's not for me to give. See, he knew that they would suffer. James would be the one that would be the very first martyr of the disciples. John would suffer great persecution and would be exiled to the island called Patmos. Yeah, they suffered. And Jesus knew that they would pay the price, but they didn't completely understand at this point. So how did the other disciples respond to this? Take a look at verse 24 when they heard about this. And when the ten heard about it, they were indignant. That's a, the, the Greek word for that means ticked off um, at the two brothers. They were royally ticked off. Now, I want you to know why they were angry. They weren't angry because of the pride of and unrighteousness of James and John for asking such a thing. I mean, you just want to exalt yourself. Why would you do such a thing? You should be humble. No, no, no. That's not why they're angry. They were angry because they beat, they got to Jesus before they got to Jesus, uh, before they did. They beat him to the punch. They wanted that. They wanted that position. Everybody wanted to be to the left and to the right. And you can see how these disciples were thinking. And so Jesus says, okay, it's time for a course correction. Here's where we're going to change our mentality. Look at what he says in verse 25. But Jesus called to them and he said, guys, come here. Time for learning. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great, great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so amongst you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant. Underscore that in your Bibles. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Two different words. We'll cover it in a minute. Underscore it. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, underscore the word ransom. Let's break it apart. Jesus starts off by saying, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and they had people over them. Jesus was identifying the culture of that day. By the way, it's this culture of today as well. They were based on a hierarchy system where there was somebody always at the top, that CEO, and there were the people in the mailroom on the bottom who were working their way up the ladder. That was the system back then, and that is the system today. That's the world system. And we got to step on people. You got to do whatever you can to get up to the top. You got to work your way. You got to do whatever it takes to get there. 
That's the system that Jesus is saying. That was the culture that was affecting their mind. Now, let me just say that that culture did affect them, or Jesus wouldn't have said this. And the culture affects us even as believers, whether we realize it or not. And Jesus says, okay, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, I want you to know how it's going to be. First of all, it's not this way. Here's how it is. And he gives them two words. He says, anyone who wants to, to be first or wants to be great, first of all, you've got to be a servant. And the word in the original language is diakonos, which is where we get our word for deacon. This is referring to a person who does menial labor, such as cleaning a house or serving tables. Now, this was not a term of, that was degrading. It was just stating that there's the lower rung in, in society, those in the mailroom, those that are just serving and helping out other people. And he's saying, if you really want to be, if you want to be great, you gotta, you got to be there. That's what you got to be. you got to be on the lower level. And then he says, if you want to be, if you want to be first, you have to be a slave. You have to be a slave. It's the word doulos. And it's the word that means, it's a, basically it means it is a person who does not belong to himself, but rather he has a master, and thus he has no personal rights whatsoever. So you want to be first in God's economy, you have to be a slave, not to your desires, but to the desires of God. That's what you have to do. And then he goes and gives himself as the ultimate example of the slave of the Father's will. Jesus was about to endure the cross, which was not something that humanly he wanted to do, but because he was living for the Father and he was divine, that he could submit himself to the Father's will. And he says this, he says, I have come to give my life as a ransom. The word ransom means payment for, in place of, a ransom for many. My friends, the characteristic of those that are, are in this course correction that are to be great or to be first in God's kingdom are those that are willing to lay down their life as a payment for others. Now I know you and I cannot pay redemption for other people. Jesus already did that. But I believe he was setting the example of what he wants in each and every one of us that we, in a sense, lay down our life in payment for others. Think about the ramifications of this as we back away from the passage. A couple things I want you to think about. First of all, the motivation to being a servant here stems from a love from God. Jesus so desperately loved the Father. He so desperately loved the Father that he was willing to do whatever the Father asked him to do. The motivation, the drive for, for Jesus was love. Equally, if you and I are in love with Jesus, then the motivation and the drive for us to not think about ourselves and to put others first and to lay our lives down for the sake of others it will be driven by our love for God. Here's the question. Do you love Jesus 
or do you love yourself? Now, that's not an easy question. Depends on the day, too. There's times I love myself more than I love Jesus, even as your pastor. But I want to love Jesus. See, when we love Jesus, guess what we're going to look like? We're going to serve Jesus, plain and simple. But when we don't love Jesus, you can say you love Jesus every day, but it's going to show in your actions. It's going to show how you are going to take your job and say, this is your job, Jesus, and I am your representative. Whatever I do, I am going to serve you. I am going to be a part of setup. I'm going to be a part of teardown. I'm going to be a part of children's ministry. I'm going to be a part of what's happening in my community because I so love Jesus. Don't love Jesus? I'm going to do what I want. Love Jesus, I'm going to do what Jesus wants. Here's the second observation. Being a servant means that our identity has changed from a human cultural viewpoint to God's viewpoint. No longer are we trying to adapt to what the culture says that we are to work up in a hierarchy system. Even at work, what we can do is baffle people by employing God's economy in our workplace by being a servant. You say, Steve, it doesn't work in my place. Okay, yeah, I mean, try being a, a lawyer and being a servant to people. Come on, it just doesn't fit. No, you can fit. Jesus wouldn't give us something that we can't do. The question is, is your identity in Christ or is it based on the culture around us? Here's a third observation, very simple. Being a servant is what God desires for each Christ follower. Plain and simple. See, the key to the success is that we are willing to lay down our life for others as a payment for them. Here's the question. Are we laying down our life for others right now? Is it seen in the sacrifice? See, at first glance, some people might say, well, this kind of squashes the joy, okay? I mean, slave, servant, come on. I mean, is that really the key to joy? Well, this is what Ephesians says. Ephesians says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in a hand for, for us to do, that we should work in them. So if God prepared in advance for us to be a servant of him and to be fulfilled through that, don't you think that what results is going to be joy? There's going to be an incredible joy that results is, is result, a result of that. And i got to tell you, over the years, what I've seen in the church is I've seen people that are Christ followers that come to church. They eat food from God's Word. They might have their own quiet time. And then they leave and they do nothing really for God, whether it's here or outside, if they're totally honest with themselves. And they kind of have that glazed-over look like, okay, I'm just going to do my one-hour duty a week, and I'm going to go to church, and yeah, that, okay, got that done, check that off, go on with my life. I'm just going to hide in the crowd, just kind of do my thing. And there's no joy. I know that I've talked to believers, it's like, I have no joy. I'll tell you what you're missing. What you're missing is what God wants of us. He wants us to love him. He wants us to be identified in him. And he wants us to lay down our life for other people. Last week, Pastor Brian talked about how we're to have God's word. And that is so true. 
But I want you to know that's only half the equation. And I fear that some people are missing out on the other half of the equation. You know, uh, when I want to work on my physical body, I have to watch what goes in here, and I have to exercise, plain and simple. How many times have you heard nutritionists say, okay, you got to eat right, and you got to what? Exercise. Two sides of the coin. One side of the coin spiritually is that we got to eat right. That's what last week's message was. The other side of the coin is that we have to exercise. And that exercise in God's economy is that we fulfill what we were designed to do, and that is to serve him. What God doesn't want is for us just to continue to take in, take in, become bigger, 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 fatter spiritually without exercising. So what are we doing? How do we do it? You say, Steve, how do I get started, man? I mean, I, okay, yeah, I want to serve. Well, here's some practical steps. Number one, make sure that you're passionately pursuing Jesus, loving Jesus. Because when you do that, you get marching orders from God. He puts things on your heart, people that you're praying for. And all of a sudden, you're praying, and you're praying for your neighbor. And you know that your neighbor's leaves aren't raked yet. And you're like, I'm going to go out and help them. I'm going to come alongside of them, and I'm going to do that. So God starts to work in our hearts, but it comes as a result of us passionately pursuing him. Number two, figure out what you're passionate about. Now, this doesn't happen overnight, but there's interest that we have. If I like helping, then help. If you like teaching, then let's pursue teaching. If there's something that you're passionate about, let's do that. If you're not certain, step three, listen to what godly people say about you. And step four, take initiative. Get involved. It's not that difficult. Now, at this time, I want to make this practical. Oh, my goodness, this thing is heavy. I would like Sarah to come up, and I would like Mike Young to come up here. Because sometimes you can hear the pastor go on and on, and then we uh, just think, okay, you know, I want to hear from somebody else. So what I'm doing is I have Mike here, and I have Sarah. Now, we need a microphone for these guys. What I want you guys to do is I want you to tell what you're, what you're passionate about. Mike, let's start with you. What are you passionate about? I, I love to help. Um, it's simple. If I can help somebody do something, and I feel a great accomplishment in doing that. Um, I'm gifted that way, and I feel like anytime I can help, whether you're, you're you're serving someone. Um, Steve is good at a lot of things, um, but sometimes in order for him to do what he's great at, someone else needs to pick up another side of it and help, whether it's with Steve or with any of you, the person sitting next to you. They're good at something, and you're good at something also. So if you can, you can help each other by doing what you're good at and what you love. So I love to help Okay, Sarah? Um, I think I'm passionate about people and relationships and discipleship. Um, I enjoy building relationships with people, um, walking through life with them, um, 
and just, yeah, just seeing that, um, seeing them become more and more like Christ, and we, and we do that together. I'm going to start with you on this question. How did you determine what you liked? I mean, what happened? How did you determine your giftedness? Well, I think I've just, <clears throat> I've always been a people person, um, and so I think um, I just kind of knew that about myself, but I started when, after I kind of reached adulthood, started serving um, in some different areas in the church, and um, I was serving in the, I was singing in the choir, because I, I do like to sing, and that was on a Wednesday night, and I just realized um, that, I mean, I, I, while I enjoyed it, it, it just wasn't thrilling to me, because it wasn't, um, it wasn't relational, it was um, it was awesome, it was important, but it wasn't me exactly. And so um, it took kind of getting involved and actually beginning to try some different things um, to make it sort of clear to me what I really like to do. So not everything turned out to be the area that you served in. So there was right. a little trial by error. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Mike, how did you determine? How did I determine? I don't know. Um, I, like I kind of said earlier, I enjoy... Um, being a part of things, I enjoy um, helping someone else succeed. Um, I guess even growing up, like, I enjoyed helping my parents do things. My dad drove a truck, so I would always be out helping my dad do something. Listen, kids, that's a good, uh, just good thing. Just help so your parents. Help like, you. it's, it's fun. <laughs> like, I just enjoy doing it. And even as, as I learned to walk with the Lord, um, Realizing that there's needs in the body, there's needs to be met. There's Mitch can't do everything. He's great at, at worship. Steve's great at teaching. I mean, we have an awesome staff that are great at doing a lot of things, but they can't do everything, and that's where they need us as the body. So I feel like I don't know. Well, why serve, Mike? Why Why do you think we should serve? Now I'm going off script a little bit here, so I'm catching them off guard. Um, why should we serve? It's fun. We're all good at something, um, and if you use what you're gifted at, you're not sure what you're gifted at. What do you like to do? Do you like to encourage people? Say something to the person next to you. I like whatever. Um, use what you, you do. What you're good at. Um, That's good. Why serve, Sarah? Well, first, I think. I think we serve out of obedience um, to the Lord and as a response to what he's done for us. Um, I mean, what could we ever do um, that would be enough? But, um, but we love him and we, we serve him out of that love. And also I think there's just so much joy in it. I mean, yeah, it's hard sometimes. And there are times that um, I'm sure you feel the same way, that I don't feel like doing it necessarily. But there's um, just so much joy in obedience and just in serving the Lord through serving other people. What encouragement would you give the body in closing, Sarah? Um, I would say just try something. Um, like I said, that's kind of what I did. And just try something, and if you don't like it, then there's, there's something out there for you. Um, and also I would say don't be afraid or... Um, don't be afraid that you are inadequate or that you can't do something. Don't let, don't let fear stop you from serving the Lord. Um, the Lord wants to use you. You work in the office. Is there a way that people can find out the needs of our body uh, to serve in our body? Uh, yeah, you can call us uh, anytime, and you can check out our website as well. Yeah, we have everything listed on the website in terms of thanks, guys. I appreciate your help.
We have everything on the uh, website. Um, and you can get involved that way. But probably the most important thing is God created you to serve, so he will help you. And if you're not serving in some capacity, seek his face and be fulfilled in what God wants. He wants us to lay our lives down for others, for our neighbors, for those here. And we get when you start doing this, you start finding out your own pride. I'm sure, Mike, when you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning to start set up here, because people are here at 7.30, they, they, they arrive at the other office to get all the equipment at 7 o'clock. It's not easy, but it's something that is fulfilling. And God has designed each and every one of us to do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us your word as an admonition. And Lord, I think of the, the couple or the person that right now has not been serving because they have been going off in the wrong direction. And Lord, I pray, Father, specifically for that individual that you would help them to make course correction in their life. The reality is the path that they have gone down has taken them further than they wanted to go. It's cost them more than they wanted to pay. And it's kept them there longer than they wanted them to, wanted to stay. And so, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would help them find their way off of that path of their selfishness, of sin, and for them to understand what it means to serve the living God. And would you give an un incredible joy to each and every person here. And I pray, Father, that that would come as a result of our service for you. In Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Uh, keep your mission in view. We'll see you guys.